Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, y'all, tell a friend to tell a friend that we are online. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio, and the cool is in full effect. Ladies and gents, we got a lot to get to on today's episode, all right? There is quite a bit that is on the dossier for today that I want to air out. So, there's a lot. There's, There's Kanye pulling out of Rolling Loud and K. Cuddy getting booed at Rolling Loud. There's a Black Panther 2 trailer that just came out. Will has finally come out and apologized to Chris Rock. And Drake brings out the North Stars for OVO Fest. Or there's actually a new name for uh, for the OVO Fest now, actually. I think October something. I'll have to I'll have to pull it up later on. But anyways, that's besides the point. That's besides the point. The point is, there's a lot to get to on today's episode, and I can't wait to do it, because it's gonna be a lot of fun, as it always is. But before I do. You already know that I got some stuff to get off of my chest. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So first and foremost, um, I am recording this on the weekend of July 31st. That being said, shout out to everyone who went to Garaban and had fun. Um, I did not go. But shouts to you if you did, uh, if you got to enjoy the festivities for all my people living here in Toronto and for all the people who came abroad, people who came from the States, people who came from the Caribbean, people who came from the African continent, people who came from Europe. It's a worldwide event that a lot of people like to go to. They will they will book their travel time and make their way to Toronto to celebrate and enjoy the festivities. So if you are one of those people, shouts to you for enjoying Carabana. That being said. We're about to talk about some bullshit. That has nothing to do with Caravan, by the way. I just wanted to get that out there. Um, over the years, especially during COVID, so the last two years where we've been in this pandemic, where we're seeing more podcasts pop up than ever, which is fine, there are a lot of people who are in this dating guru space. And these things I don't like to talk about a lot, unless if they're getting a lot of traction and it's involving people within the hip-hop community and people are kind of like putting their two cents in once in a while entertain it like the whole Derek Jackson thing like that one was a long time coming but I digress there's a lot of people who are coming into these spaces nowadays who are just spewing out this toxic rhetoric about how to control your partner and it's really really agitating me whether it's men explaining how to control other women or women explaining how to control other men. I'm not here for any of that. I'm, I'm just not. And the latest name to come out of that hat is this jackass named Andrew Tate. So the thing I hate about this guy 
as well as a lot of other, a lot a lot of these other podcasters who want to be self help gurus and what have you is they come from the cult of personality. Some could even say that I come from the cult of personality as well. And what I mean by that is this: their personalities are so engaging, and they speak very eloquently, and they articulate themselves so well, and speak so passionately and confidently that whatever they say will not only get the attention of many listeners, but they will have the ear of many listeners. When I say the ear of many listeners, they will listen to what they have to say and they will take it verbatim, take it as gospel, if you will. They will listen to whomever is talking. They will say, you know what? This person's right. Yeah, yeah, treat her like a dog, yeah. Or yeah, spend his money, don't spend your own, yeah. It's... And he is one of the examples of that right now. So he will bring up examples about how to manage your money and things of that nature. And he is marketing himself to the lowest common denominator. So the people who basically pride themselves on being from the hood or keeping it real or whatever the case may be, his message is falling on those ears. But in reality, what he's talking about, what just when it comes to like finances, for example, he's just talking about basic economics, like how to save your money, how to invest your money and stuff like that. These are things that your average everyday financial officer from Sun Life can tell you about and educate you about how to get a TSFA or anything of, the, of that sort. These are just basic things that you can come across from any financial experts, like like legitimized expert, not somebody who decides to hop on a podcast and talk about, you know, money, wealth management just because he read a few uh, quick self-help books and now he's a guru all of a sudden. No. So when he's peddling these messages, I'm listening like, dude, you're talking about basic shit. You're talking about basic shit. But unfortunately, there are people who will listen and be like, oh my God, he's right. It's only because of, of the vessel that he has in which he's conveying that message from. Because if you were to hear any of this from, let's just say a white dude in his 50s wearing a suit, it's going to fall on deaf ears because you're going to think that this person is from a completely different generation. And because of the fact that he's white, he benefits off of generational wealth, not knowing his or her complete story whatsoever. But because you're looking at this guy, some guy who dresses up in like a fancy leather jacket, wearing shades all the time, smoking a Cuban cigar in every video that he's in, you're thinking, oh, wow, this dude got swag. Yo, he's from the hood. He keep it real. And he's spitting that real shit. Yeah, I'm going to definitely listen to him. People like him have been sprouting up over the last two years on this podcasting space. Whether it's him, whether it's Fresh and Fit, whether it's more or less to a certain extent Joe Budden, but he's been doing his podcasting thing for a minute. But nonetheless, a lot of these toxic personalities spew out toxic ideas and toxic rhetoric that poisons a lot of people's mentality. And now you have something called now you have something called the red pill community, which is all about hyper masculinity. And if you really want to have a conversation about quote unquote toxic masculinity, by the way, I have my own reservations of that of that term, but I'll say that for another pod. If you really want to have a conversation about that, instead of making that a general statement as if that that's only, you know, a genetically male male inherited trait 
Look no further than the red pill community, especially the ones who are on like the far end spectrum of it. That is toxic masculinity. All right, that is the the preemptive example of that. And then on the flip side of things, you'll have some female podcasters who are just as toxic when it comes to the rhetoric as well. When it comes to talking about how their money is their money, but their man's money is their money as well. And how you should only go out with a guy who makes six figures and someone who is categorically a high value man. And because of that, they have certain entitlements and what have you. All these labels and things that these people give themselves, they tokenize themselves and they place themselves into a bubble and into, and into a world where the real world looks at them and almost laughs at them because nobody outside of that bubble thinks that way. But unfortunately, they are a vocal minority that because of the fact that they have this personality or that they have this clout, as the cool kids are now saying, it's... It's getting a lot of attention. It's getting a lot of attention. And it's causing people to have certain mentalities that are very detrimental, in my opinion. So if you're only viewing somebody, whether a man viewing a woman or a woman viewing a man or man, man, woman, woman, whatever the case may be. If you're, it, 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 I say man and woman and vice versa because it tends to be a conversation that's being had amongst the opposite sex. I don't really see... Uh, same-sex couples talking about this or people who are in the same-sex spaces. But when it comes to man versus woman, woman versus man, whatever you want to call it, it makes their, basically, heterosexual relationships, it makes their relationships seem very transactional in the sense of what can you do for me? You know, I'm making at least six figures a year. I own this property. I own that property. Little clothes I'm wearing. Because of that, I have an entitlement over you as my woman. Whatever you do, can't you can't do without my say-so because I'm funding your life. And on the other hand, it's a woman saying, well, I'm not going to be with you unless you make six figures. Because as a man, it's your duty to provide for me. I'm the woman. I don't have to do anything. You provide for me. So it makes their relationships look very transactional. And it makes it seem as though that they are preaching to the masses that that's how relationships should be in general when it comes to romantic heterosexual relationships. First of all, hetero or homo, I don't think that any relationship should be like that. I think it should be based, based upon the principles of love, trust, understanding, as well as as well as 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 unity unity on all fronts, unity in, in terms of caring for one another, unity in, com in terms of the finances, all that stuff. But when you have these people like Andrew Tate and a whole bunch of others talking about you're my property or or if you're not making any money, then you're no good to me. Then it just sets the wrong precedent for the generation coming up because everyone's just going to see it as nothing more than a credit card transaction. Like there's no difference at that point. So for me, I get very tired of hearing these people bloviate about about what they feel as though they're entitled to, whether it's because of how much money they bring to the table or whether it's because of how 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 much beauty and body that they bring to the table all of those things are superficial because at the end of the day they die off eventually looks fade away and at the given drop of a dime you can go broke at any minute all right you can't take all that wealth with you beyond the grave 
All that shit disappears eventually. So then what? So my thing is this. For all the listeners out there, I would steer clear of these of these podcasters who are out here trying to dictate to you and the masses what what a real what a real man is supposed to do and what a real woman is supposed to do and what their roles are in a relationship. Gender roles basically. Now, if you are someone who's into, into gender roles, hey, if it works for you, do what you got to do. All right? But if not, and you're having trouble navigating the dating space, don't listen to these people. And I'm not even going to tell you to listen to me either. I, I don't fashion myself as a guru of any sort. All right? I just, a guru, influencer, ugh, like, I find, I find those terms to be pretentious. I've had some people call me a culture critic. I'll take that because I'm, every, every time I upload a pod or I do an episode, I'm critiquing certain aspects of hip-hop and pop culture, so sure. But I'm not going to go by that as my title. Like, oh, I'm culture critic DM cool at your service. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to do that. Anyways, all I'm saying is watch out for these people. Watch out for the Andrew Tates of the world. Watch out for Fresh and Fit. Whomever. Anyone who's giving you toxic rhetoric and trying to pass it up as gospel. Watch out for these people because they're frauds. And all they're looking to do is to, to get your attention and then to sell you on something. Whether they're trying to sell you on something tangible or even if they're trying to sell you on a dream or a fantasy that cannot be attained, watch out for these people. But hey, I can be completely off base. What do you think about that? Do you think I'm off base? Or, or is there something to that I'm saying that you agree with? Either way, let me know. Hit me up on my platforms and share your thoughts. All right, so let's get into our mic check segment of the week, okay? So, what I want to talk about is the release of the new Black Panther trailer. So, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That will be released in November of this year. And it features director Ryan Coogler, as well as the majority of the cast from from the previous film. The only names that are that are omitted as we know of are Daniel Kaluuya because he chose to focus more time on on starring in the, in the film Nope from uh, Jordan Peele and then of course the late and great Chadwick Boseman who is no longer with us that being said I checked out the trailer and oh before I go in on the trailer actually uh, what I thought was really cool was at comic at San Diego comic-con this year uh, this year i mean a couple weeks ago basically at this point i think it was last week if i'm not mistaken um last week of this recording i should say they brought out the panel for black panther wakanda forever and before bringing out the actual panel what they did was they brought out the artist who performed uh t'challa's motif so his theme song in in the in the film so da 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 t'challa da 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 they brought him out to perform his uh medley and he also brought out the uh, the artist who performed on the talking drum. And they were performing all throughout the crowd. And it was really cool to see everyone, you know, pulling out their phones and, and recording it and reacting immediately as soon as those artists came out. And I thought it was cool because, you know, African culture, sub, or sorry, uh, oh, yeah, sub-Saharan African culture doesn't really get put on a positive pedestal. Uh that often so it was cool to see people embracing that aspect of the culture and be like oh my gosh this is so interesting let me film this so i thought that was really cool like, if that were me i probably would have lost my shell like, oh my god this is so amazing but i thought that was really cool though so 
shouts to shouts to those uh, gentlemen. I thought that was really dope. Now, anyways, let me get back to this trailer, okay? So you guys know my thoughts about about this film or my the thoughts I have going into this film, I should say, and how I feel about them not recasting T'Challa, which we'll get into later on. Uh, but as far as the trailer goes, for the most part, I like the trailer. I did. It was a very well put together trailer. The sequencing of No Woman No Cry mixed with Kendrick Lamar's All Right was really good, especially when you got to like the middle of the trailer where the drama started to intensify, and that's when you heard um, Kendrick's rendition of it. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was really impressive. Uh, I do like the fact that it looks as though we're about to go into more aspects of Wakanda as far as the world as far as the world building is concerned, which is one thing I thought was somewhat lacking in in the first uh, Black Panther film. I, we didn't get enough world building, in my opinion. And but again, that's coming from somebody who's read the comics before, so that's just the nerd in me talking. But I wasn't mad at that. It was just one minor nitpick that I had about the film. Um, beyond that, I also loved seeing Namor. Namor is somebody that I've been wanting to see in the Black Panther sequel since maybe like a year after Black Panther came out. I said to myself, we need to see Namor. Like he is T'Challa's biggest rival, arguably. And like we need to see them clash. And also it'd be a great introduction into mutants since he's the first ever mutant printed on Marvel Comics. So I thought it was cool that we not only got to see him, but we also got to see like a reimagined look of him. Like he has more of like an Aztec Mayan look to him, which I thought was really cool. And so that being said, I feel like obviously Atlantis is in the Atlantic Ocean, but they're I guess they're gonna bring it a bit more closer to South America or maybe Central America on that end of the, of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm assuming. Whereas I guess in the past, the Atlant where Atlantis was was probably somewhere in the middle in between South America and Africa. What I want to know is how they're going to travel from Atlantis to Wakanda, but we will find that out later in the film. So I thought that was really cool. All that being said, however, oh, also we got to see Riri Williams as well. Cool. Um, all that being said, however, the thing that I did not like about the trailer and the thing that has me very worried, or the thing that I've been worried about, but now I'm even more worried about is the fact that from what we've seen in the, from what we see in the trailer, T'Challa is now dead in the MCU, all because of the fact that Chadwick Boseman, the actor who played T'Challa, is dead in real life, unfortunately. And what I didn't like about that, apart from killing off, you know, a very iconic character within not only Marvel comics but in comic books in general, by killing him off in the film. And you're using that within the marketing of the film, which is the trailer, because the trailer is used to market the film, to sell the film to audiences. You're profiting off of his death in real life. And by his death, I'm talking about Chadwick Boseman, the actor who played T'Challa. You're profiting off of his death by using his funeral as a way to sell the film. I get that we're all curious and anxious to see what they do in the film and how they handle the absence of Chadwick Boseman not reprising his role for obvious reasons. But there are more ways to sell this film than to use his funeral, his on-screen funeral of sorts, as a way to sell the film. Here's the thing that, there's a, there's a lot of things in this that don't make sense to me, okay? And I'm just going off of the basis of, of what we see in the trailer and what we've been hearing as far as not recasting 
and and most likely killing off his, his character. So first of all, let's just talk about the on-screen actions of what has happened in the world of Wakanda as as we've seen it on screen. So in the first Black Panther film, T'Challa presumably died when he was defeated in ritual combat by Killmonger and Killmonger dissected him and threw him off of the cliff. He was presumably dead. He was basically halfway dead when when Shuri and the others caught up to him in the Jabari lands, okay? We, we saw that. Like, he was clinging on to life because of the fact that he was buried in the snow. And M'Baku even said that if you take him out of the snow, he's going to be dead in seconds. So, between the time he got thrown off the cliff up until that very moment, Wakanda was mourning the loss of their king at that time. So that's the first time they mourned for him, all right? Second time they mourned for him was when T'Challa got caught up in the snap in Infinity War, when him and half of the universe's population got, got snapped out of existence. So we didn't get to see the mourning of T'Challa during that five-year period where him and the other half of the universe were absent and my thing is, I want to see how they handle that. Like, that's one thats one of, if not the biggest thing, even before T'Challa's death, or I'm sorry, uh, Chadwick's death, that I wanted to see handled in the new Black Panther movie. How are they going to handle that five-year period where there was no king and no Black Panther? Because we remember, the herbs got burned. So there was no Black Panther and no king subsequently. So I'm curious to know if they handle that. And hey, for all I know, maybe that funeral that we saw in the trailer was during the five-year period where, where T'Challa was gone. But here's the thing as well. Shuri was presumably gone in that snap as well. And we see Shuri in that portion of the trailer where she's wearing all white and she's holding uh, the helmets of T'Challa, the Black Panther helmets. So this must be taking place in, in present-day time if that's the case. So that's another thing. And then now, in present day, from what we're seeing in the trailer, we're now mourning his death yet again. So now my question is, how does this person die? And what I mean by that is, how do you die of any illness outside of, let's just say, old age, for example, when you live in the most technologically advanced nation on the planet? In the first movie... Everett Ross, the white guy who works for the CIA, who was brought into Wakanda after he got shot. Not only did he survive, but he was on his feet the very next day. Remember, this guy got shot in his spine, in his spine, his vertebrae. In real life, hell, in movies in general, if you don't die off of that, you are paralyzed from the waist down. Ask Professor X of the X-Men. You're paralyzed from the waist down. This guy was stabilized with a Komoyo bead and then Shuri did her little operation thingy by using Wakanda technology to bring him back to his able-bodied self. T'Challa, who was on the brink of death, like I mentioned earlier, was brought back to life in full health by drinking the heart-shaped herb. Okay? Killmonger. T'Challa said, maybe we can still heal you. Now, he said maybe, which basically means that there's a 50-50 probability where he lives or survive, where he, where he lives or dies. 
And I get it because he just had a spear plunged through his chest. But the fact that he said maybe means that they still have the technology that makes it possible for, for, for anyone to survive a mortal wound like that. But we're just going to have T'Challa die. How exactly? You know, there's a rumor going around that just like the actor in real life, they're going to have T'Challa die of cancer. Of cancer. So not only are you killing off an iconic character in comic books that could have been the, the next iconic character on screen for years to come, you're now having him die of cancer because the actor who played him in real life died of cancer too? What sense does that make? Like, you, so you mean to tell me that in a fantasy film where this unknown nation is the most technically technologically advanced nation in the entire world, literally like 50 years ahead of everyone else, where they have modern-day cures for damn near everything that you can think of, and the and the and their most viable export is the most versatile sus, sus, substance on the planet. You mean to tell me that your main character, your king, your Black Panther, dies of a common illness in a fantasy movie? See, here's the issue that I'm having right now, okay? And seeing this trailer last week, it it basically fueled those 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 concerns. And I'm talking to the black community for a second here, okay? For so long, the black community has basically monetized their own struggle on camera, going as far back as the black exploitation era, okay, from the 70s and onwards. Since the 70s, you know, going all the way back to Roots, for example, and I get it, things like that back in the day were meant to be educational and what have you. But nonetheless, going back then up until now, the black community, within America specifically, I should point out, has monetized its own struggle and oppression and stereotypes, if I'm being completely honest, for the longest time. Slave movie after slave movie after slave movie, whether it's the miniseries Roots whether it's the Amistad, whether it's 12 Years a Slave, whether it's the Butler, and whether it's something like something oppression-based like Queen and Slim, The Hate That You Give, Malcolm X, Judas and the Black Messiah, or if it's anything that has to deal with their toxic relationships like Malcolm and Marie, two can play that game, uh, Think Like a Man, Whatever the case may be, it always has to be something that that basically puts all their negative attributes and aspects of their lineage on the forefront for the entire world to see. And because of that, to them, they see that as realistic. But God forbid there are black people, whether it's a majority cast or maybe one or two members of the cast are black, and they're in the film that deals with fantasy and sci-fi and, and what other, whatever genre that allows you to expand on your imagination and creates a suspension of disbelief, they don't buy into it because they don't see that as realistic. When in reality, film, while it can't imitate certain aspects of life, 
It is also a form of escapism. It allows you to travel into a world that isn't your own so that you can be, you can uh, let your imagination let your imagination be wild and free and, and let it frolic at its own convenience. You're allowed to imagine you're in a world immersed of pirates and squash buckling and stuff like that. You're allowed to immerse yourself in a world where you're, you're fighting alongside Norse Vikings or, or, or Knights of King, Ar King Arthur's round round table. You're allowed to immerse yourself in an African nation that had never been conquered or colonized or invaded by anyone. And because of that, they didn't have to go through the interruptions of the other nations that endured slavery and all those things. You are, you, you're free to practice the religion that, that is native to your country. You're free to not practice a religion at all. But for whatever reason, whatever happens in real life, it has to go back into film. For a lot of black people which is why you'll rarely ever see a lot of black people go to something like star wars or any of the other marvel movies for that matter black panther was basically the giant exception to the rule when it came to that but a lot of people just wanted like the the the, the instagram photo op and all that and i, and I get it. It, it it came with the territory but nonetheless whether you went in for for the for the for the for the for the genuine adulation of of watching a film that doesn't have to heavily deal with oppression or if you just want to be there just so you can start on the gram we were all there and we were all happy or majority of us at least but now that the real life actor has has passed away in real life now we gotta go back to the status quo and 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 now we got we gotta run with this narrative that it, it would be totally disrespectful to recast the role these characters are for, are adapted from previous screenplays. The Marvel comics are, are screenplays in, in that regard. And these characters are meant to outlast the actors or the, the, the actors that portray them or the creators that created them. Stan Lee passed away at 95 years old. He's one of the founders of Marvel alongside Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. All three of these gentlemen have, have long since passed. But that doesn't mean that the MCU stops or that Marvel Comics stops, or that Marvel merchandise stops selling. No, the show must go on. Why? Because we have to carry on tradition. We have to keep on, we have to keep passing this tradition and, and, and keep it moving forward. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean the end of Black Panther altogether. The mantle will still be the mantle. But what makes the mantle great is the person behind the mantle. Black Panther is iconic because T'Challa is the most iconic uh, uh, character to don the mantle of Black Panther. We've had Bashinga. We've had uh, T'Chaka. We've had Cyan. We've had Shuri. We've had Killmonger. We've had so many other people who have donned the mantle of Black Panther. But none is more iconic than T'Challa. Why? Because there are so many stories revolving around him. That had major implications all throughout the Marvel Universe. His feuds with Namor led to the war. The great war between Wakanda and Atlantis. Him and, and, and Namor's um, uh, alliance together led to them being a part of the Illuminati, which then led to uh, the Secret Wars. His feud with Doctor Doom led to Doom War, where Wakanda for the first time was invaded and colonized by, by Doom and Latveria. His association with the Fantastic Four. He's one of the first people to best the Fantastic Four as a whole in combat. He led... The Fantastic Four. 
He led them. And you're telling me that this is a character on screen at least that you're ready and willing to kill off all because the actor who played him in real life is now no longer with us as well. So what does that say about Heath Ledger? Should we just stop making uh, uh, Joker movies altogether? Because there have been three actors who have played the Joker since his death. Are we just going to stop uh, Superman altogether because Christopher Reeves died? There have been multiple Superman movies and shows since his death. Are we just going to stop Batman because Adam West is no longer with us? We literally just had a Batman movie come out back in March. And now, and, and there are a few people who are out there saying, oh, well, it's MCU and those were different franchises that got rebooted. So it wouldn't make sense because the audience would, would know. You're right. The audience wouldn't know that's a recasting. But at the same time, the audience is not stupid. The audience is not looking at, at Chadwick Boseman or at, at, at Robert Downey Jr., for example, saying, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Okay. No, no, no. They're saying Robert Downey Jr. is playing Tony Stark as Iron Man. And on top of that, we've seen recastings in the MCU before. Terrence Howard was re, uh, got recasted and turned into uh, Don Cheadle for War Machine, Rhodey. Edward Norton got recasted into Mark Ruffalo when it came to the Hulk. The character of Cassie Lang, who was Scott Lang's, a.k.a. Ant-Man's daughter, was recasted very recently to another actor. So recastings happen, whether it's a main character or if it's a supporting character. I just gave you examples of both. Regardless of the politics behind the, the recastings, recastings happen nonetheless. So why are we acting like this is so, totally different now all of a sudden? And it's because of the ideals that the black community holds when it comes to seeing themselves on television and in film. And it's this... This thing, this this obsession, almost a borderline fetish where whatever happens in real life has to happen on screen or else they can't buy into the film. It's the same reason why a lot of black people are now watching these Jordan Peele films because Jordan Peele, and I'm not even trying to shit on him when I say this, he's a great director, a great visionary for talent, and a great writer. But him infusing themes of racism and prejudice and any type of ill that's happened within the black community is what's getting these people to watch these horror films. Because at nauseum, there aren't a lot of black people who are into horror films. They say they're not into them for religious reasons or whatever the case may be. Me personally, I'm not into horror films, but it's not because of anything religious or anything that's inherently quote-unquote black. I just don't like the anxiety of having to deal with somebody being mutilated in the most sadistic way. It's not my thing. I'm not into the gore porn. But... With that being said, it's like if you don't infuse any of those things into a film or into a show, then black audiences as a whole aren't willing to watch it. That's so sad. And now you have white people and some non-black people in general who agree with the sentiment of not recasting the child because it would be seen as disrespectful. But they're only saying it because they hear other black people saying that. And because they don't want to come across as racist, especially in this heightened PC era that we're now in. They just want to agree with whatever black people are saying. And it just goes back to this whole thing of us being a monolith. We love to say, oh, we are not a monolith. But boy, oh boy, do we prove time and time again that we're a monolith. So it's funny that whenever people come to the, come to me with these conversations and I tell them right off the bat, I disagree. I don't think they should 
they should not not recast T'Challa. I think they should recast T'Challa, and they get all surprised. And I explained to them the same way that I'm explaining to you guys right now. They're like, "Oh my God, I never thought of it that way, Daniel. You're totally right. You know what? You're. I agree with you 1,000 percent. They should recast T'Challa. Yeah, no shit, no fucking shit." Listen, guys, when it comes to film, when it comes to television, not everything has to mirror real life to the T. It's one thing if you're doing a biopic film. In that aspect, I understand. You're telling a real life story or as close to real life as possible. So I get it. But if we're talking about a movie that deals in the realms of fantasy, keep in mind, we're talking about a movie that's part of a franchise that has billionaire playboys piloting mech suits. A super soldier frozen in time from the 1940s trying to adapt to the 21st century. A Norse demagogue who wields a hammer, now an axe, to conjure thunder. A marksman bow and arrow artist who is also a spy. A master kung fu artist who wields five rings on each arm to enhance his powers by tenfold. And a woman who uses dark magic to create and construct realities that are far beyond our comprehension. Then who's to say that we're not allowed to have a king and a warrior who is on the same level as many of these other individuals, whether it's the same actor or not? Let's continue, all right? Let's continue. So, with with the with the emergence of the trailer, the recast T'Challa hashtag popped up once again, and I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Emmanuel uh, Noisette, who was the creator of that hashtag. Um, I interviewed him last year, and we got to have a big, long discussion about it. The interview is still available, by the way, both on video and on audio. Shameless plug. Whatever, you're listening to it anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, I had the pleasure of talking to him about it, and he outlined a lot of things uh, in which what the hashtag and the movement was about. So one of the things that happened this past weekend that totally negates what the hashtag is about was the fact that you had a vocal minority of people who are spreading this uh, hashtag who were then saying that they were going to boycott the film. That is where I pumped the bricks. Because despite me outlining my concerns for the film and my grievances with the film based on the reports that we've heard as well as what we've seen in the trailer, never once have I said that I would boycott the film. I never even said that I wasn't going to see the film. I said I was going to, but I'm going to go into it with low expectations. I did say that, and I'll stand by it based on everything that I've been saying up until this point. But to boycott the film, I think is very disingenuous, especially if you are someone who is saying to recast the role of T'Challa. Because by recasting the role of T'Challa, you want to see this fran franchise thrive. You want to see Marvel as a whole thrive. I'm a big Marvel fan. I'm a big comic books fan in general. And to boycott the film would mean to disrespect the work that got put into this film. All the actors, the cast, crew, directors, writers, everything in between. Despite how I feel about them not recasting T'Challa. I'm not going to sit and act like they did not work their asses off 
and and grieve while filming this project as well. So to see that you want to boycott the film is kind of wild to me, in my opinion. It's kind of wild to me. Some people may disagree with that, you know, who are really adamant on recasting the child. And trust me, I'm adamant on that too. But as far as we know, it's not going to happen in this film because it's already been filmed, it's already been shot. And I know there are a lot of people who are saying that they should recast for this film. And again, when it goes back to the recast the child hashtag, the... The hashtag was not about recasting the child for this film coming up. It was for recasting him in future installments of either this film or the MCU as a whole. So for all we know, there may be a recasting somewhere down the line. And if there is, it's most likely just going to be a variant version of T'Challa. But that is what the, the hashtag stands on. So for the people who are saying they're going to boycott the film, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's kind of wild to say that. That's my opinion on that, though. But I do understand where it comes from and, and, and the hurt and the grievance that a lot of people are, are feeling because of that. And on top of that, there may be some people within that movement who don't want to see Shuri become Black Panther in this film. Not necessarily because she's not ready, but just because of the fact that she's a woman and that it's black male erasure by doing that. So I'm going to say this. I do believe when it comes to not recasting T'Challa, there is an element of black male erasure because, again, it goes with the idea of black death and being comfortable with black death. Because usually when we see black death, it's usually with a black man. So to see black death in yet another film, to me, is black male erasure in that aspect. Now, to have Shuri become Black Panther just so they can just replace the male with the female, if that is their intention... If that is their intention from a marketing standpoint or whatever the case may be, then yes, that would be an example of black male erasure. But knowing how the cast and crew feel about Chadwick Boseman and his portrayal of Black Panther or specifically T'Challa, I don't think that's the intention that they have. I can see from the outside looking in without any context that that's what you would come to, but I don't believe that to be the case. However, there are some people, again, a vocal minority of people who have said, well, you know, T'Challa was the king in the first one, so now Shuri deserves to be the, the queen in the second one. And to me, that's selfish. And I say that's selfish because, first of all, the people who are saying that don't even read the comics because they would know that if they had read the comics that T'Challa and, and Shuri were both king and queen of Wakanda to a certain extent. So they are both Black Panther, but, but Shuri was queen of Wakanda as the entire nation and T'Challa was king of of uh, of the necropolis which is the city of the dead in Wakanda the same area where you go for your burial to to venture into the ancestral plane he was king of that section basically but they both were endowed with the powers of the Black Panther essentially so it can happen at the same time very like much how Thor and Jane Foster were both worthy to wield Mjolnir they were both embedded with the power of Thor. And we just saw that movie less than a month ago. So you can't tell me that's not possible to have two of them be Black Panther at the same time. Now, where I stand with Shuri uh, when it comes to potentially making her Black Panther is that I don't think she's ready yet. I want her to become Black Panther, but she's not ready yet. And the reason why I say that is because when it comes to being a Black Panther, there are th three key things involved. So first of all, you have to be 
you have to be knowledgeable when it comes to the politics of Wakanda, right? And you have to be not only knowledgeable, you have to be engaged. Engaged. That's the main thing. You have to be engaged in the, in the politics of Wakanda, right? That's one thing. Secondly, you have to be a you have to be a devout follower of the Panther religion and the goddess Bass and what she means and 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 what her role is in 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 endowing somebody the power of the Black Panther. You have to be well into that. You have to be a believer. You can't be on the fence. You can't be agnostic about it. You got to be a believer on that. That's another thing. And the third thing is you have to be a well-trained fighter. Well-trained fighter. Shuri is none of those things. She's not, not at this point right now in the MCU. She's not into the politics or engaged into the politics of Wakanda at all. She's not a devout pra practitioner of the Panther religion. And at best, she's a novice fighter. The only time we saw her fight was when she had the Panther cannons. We haven't seen her in any type of hand-to-hand -hand combat before. So to, bring, to make her the Black Panther in this film would be premature. And it would be, a, it, it would be doing a disservice to her character. I don't even know if she's even ready to be Queen of Wakanda. It's her birthright. It's definitely her birthright. But I don't know at, if at this point in time... She's ready to handle handle the political aspect of being the queen of Wakanda. I don't think she's ready for that yet. We need more movies with her in order for that to happen. The same way we had more films and 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 TV shows with uh, Falcon, aka Sam Wilson. We weren't ready just to just crown him the next uh, Captain America after the third movie. We had to see him in six years worth of appearances within the MCU when it was the Winter Soldier when it was Captain America Civil War when it was you know albeit brief cameo but nonetheless with an Ant-Man when he was in uh actually he was in Age of Ultron as well uh when he was in in Infinity War and then Endgame and then his own series eventually which he then became Captain America at the end of it so he had to make seven appearances in eight years throughout the MCU in order for him to ascend to that mantle. Why? Because during those seven appearances in eight years, we got to see his character grow and develop. We haven't seen that from Shuri yet. We haven't seen that from her yet. We've only seen her in three appearances, Black Panther, Infinity War, and Endgame. The latter two films, she had a total of, I would say, seven minutes between those two films with very minimal dialogue not enough to progress her character line at all so we need to see more from her even if it means her getting her own disney plus series which may be in the works because we do know that ryan coogler signed a deal with with uh with disney saying that he gets to make um uh disney content for disney plus and a couple of those pro uh projects are going to be about wakanda so maybe she makes her appearances in there too at the same time because all of this, you know, talk about her, you know, uh, shitting on the vaccine and making these comments here and there and what have you may not have sat so well with the with the upper brass at Marvel and Disney. So who knows where her career is going to take her when it comes to the MCU. And then we may have to have a discussion about recasting her role. Or is it to just or is it going to be disrespectful to do that? And then we got to kill her off, too. Is it, are we going to do that as well? Either way. Her character is not ready yet. I want to see her become Black Panther because that's what happens in the comics. But we need more growth and storytelling with her character in order to make that a reality. 
to make it a viable reality. All right, a couple more things about this topic, and I'm going to put it to a rest, and we're going to switch gears. So a few things are are bothering me right now. So first thing, I, and I kind of alluded to, is uh, the inclusion of Namor. So that one's a double-edged sword for me, because I love the fact that Namor is in here. I've been wanting Namor to be in the film for the longest time. But like I said earlier, it feels bittersweet because of the fact that he is T'Challa's greatest rival, and they have one of the best rivalries in all of comic books. But we won't to get we won't get to see that rivalry between him and T'Challa play out because of obvious reasons. So that one makes me upset. So there's that. Secondly, and this I don't believe this to be a spoiler because this is more of a rumor, but there's a rumor going around that. Dr. Doom is going to be teased in the end credits of this film as the next big bad, which to me, again, very similar to the Namor thing, is bittersweet because of the fact that Doom is another one of T'Challa's greatest rivals. So to me, it's like you're just teasing. It's like, okay, we're not going to have T'Challa in here, but just to make you feel better, we're going to add in these two big villains that are tied to his arc. Like, to me, there are bigger rivals to him than, than Claw was. And Claw is supposed to be his Joker, essentially. But to me, it's Namor and Doom. But again, you're taking those characters, putting them into the movies without T'Challa being in there, which to me is a tease. So there's that. And the thing that makes me upset the most, and again, this is another rumor, but I would not be surprised if this were to happen because this is just so common within the black community, is that at some point during the film, Nakia is going to reveal that she's pregnant with T'Challa's unborn baby. So on top of everything that we have just talked about, now you're going to have a single mother plot line in the film? Listen, no disrespect to black Americans when I say this, but Baby mama drama is not something that's very common in the, in the African continent. I'm just letting it be known right now. There's not a whole lot of baby mama drama that's in the continent. And if there is, it doesn't get put on full display like it does in America. Let, let's just be clear on that, okay? So now you're infusing a normalized black trope into a fantasy film full of black people. And, and you're now propagating a stereotype if this is confirmed to be true. So we're going to have Nakia be a single a single mother, single black mother, a single black mother in the most technologically advanced civilization on earth that believes in equality. We're going to have her become a single black mother. Fan-fucking-tastic. And now we're going to have most likely a son. It's probably going to be a son, just to make things balanced. But it's most likely going to be a son who is not going to have his father around. Great. Another black fatherless child is another thing that we need particularly within the mcu fantastic again this is all rumors but based on the trajectory of where things are going i'm not surprised i'm just disappointed if that's exactly what's going to happen every child needs their father in their life especially especially little black men and little black girls they need their fathers in their life just as much as they need their mothers 
And of course, if this is going to be a thing, then we're going to see the trope of, oh, well, you don't really need the father in the household because really it takes a village to raise a child. And them being in Africa, they're going to use a whole village mentality. Oh, my God. I can see the tea leaves from, from, from afar. Oh, God. Please don't let that happen. And even ignoring all that for a second, let's say that does happen. So you mean to tell me that we have to wait for T'Challa's son to become Black Panther for how long now? Because it took us 50 years for us to get the first one. So are we going to have to wait like an additional 18 years if that's the case? Or are we going to go through a time loop and then we're just going to fast forward to when he's... Like, he's not even young enough to be a part of the Young Avengers, let alone the main Avengers. But this is where we are. This is where we are. So, in conclusion to this topic, because I know I've been talking for almost an hour about this, ad nauseum, my final thoughts on this are this. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And I know people have their conflicting arguments to this, but it is what it is. But if you wanted to honor Chadwick Boseman's legacy as T'Challa... All you had to do was recast. That's all you had to do. T'Challa said that he, or sorry, (laughs) Chadwick Boseman said that he wanted to play this character because when he plays a character, he doesn't want the audience to see Chadwick Boseman. He wants the audience to see the character that he's playing, whether it was Jackie Robinson, whether it was James Brown, whether it was Thurgood Marshall whether it was T'Challa. And no one could tell me beyond a shadow of a doubt that those four characters, outside of being played by the same actor, were similar in any type of way, shape, form, or fashion. No way. You had the bombastic and flamboyant James Brown. You had the calm and mild-mannered uh, Jackie Robinson. You had you had the very analytical and yet very confident Thurgood Marshall. And you had the very regal T'Challa. All four of those characters were completely different from one another, along with all the other characters that he's played in other movies. Whether it's a message to the king, whether it was 21 Bridges, whether it was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the roles that he has played have varied from film to film. So to say that you're honoring him by not recasting the role is a dishonor to him because not only did he want the viewers to see the characters that he was portraying, but it was his mission, according to his own words, as well as his estate after his passing, that he wanted to bring the character to life. To life. Let me reiterate one more time for the people in the back. He wanted to bring the character to to life and knowing that he played the character while battling cancer and a lot of those scenes he was performing his own stunts going through all the pain that went with having such an illness all those efforts are now in vain because you are no longer choosing to carry on the tradition of, of, of having an actor play the role of T'Challa. No one is replacing Chadwick as T'Challa. It's not a replacement. It's, it's passing the baton onto another person to carry on that race. 
That's what it is. That's how they should have viewed it as. And because they didn't view it as that, they resorted to this. And it's so disheartening. Now, obviously, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be disappointed or, or upset. But there are a lot of people who are disappointed and upset by the fact they didn't recast T'Challa. So I get it. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But in hindsight, when you look back at it, you're going to... By recasting the role... There's going to be little to no signs of regret unless if the actor who played him after the fact was completely terrible. But knowing how Marvel likes to cast their actors and what have you, they would have, they would have brought in a fine actor to, to, to carry on that role. But now they, they put a stop to it because Ryan Coogler and Nate Moore decided within minutes that they were no longer going to recast the role. Or they were not going to recast the role at all, let alone no longer. Which is absolutely disheartening absolutely oh my god like the lack of hindsight like the lack of, of of foresight rather chadwick wanted this role to live on and his own family members his older brother and his niece even said that he would have wanted this role to continue whether he was alive or not And now we won't ever get to see that. The character of T'Challa, in fact, will know, will, at this point, will just be a footnote. 50 years from now, we're going to be like, oh, remember that Black Panther movie that came out? Yeah, that guy, he was really good, wasn't he? Because now you run the risk of, of making the mantle of Black Panther disposable. In the sense that, first it was T'Challa that, played the, that, 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 that donned the mantle. Then in the second movie, let's say for argument's sake, because we don't know who it is yet, but let's say for argument's sake, in the second film, it was Nakia. And then in the third film, it was Shuri. So now we're just playing hot potato like a pass-around ting that the, that the mantle is. And because of that, it, ha it has no meaning. In all the MCU films that we've had with certain solo characters, we've seen the same character play their mantle repeatedly. Tony Stark was always Iron Man for three films. Steve Rogers was always Captain America for three films. Thor was always for Thor for three films. For four films, actually. He, the fourth one, he just shared it. And he looks like he'll continue that on in his fifth film. Peter Quill was always Peter Quill. Or Star-Lord, I should say, in Guardians of the Galaxy. The third one's coming out soon. Scott Lang was Ant-Man in, in two films. Third film coming up soon. Spider-Man, sorry, Peter Parker was Spider-Man in three films. And it looks like Black Panther is going to be passed around from T'Challa to possibly Nakia, then later on Shuri. So it's just going to be a guessing game of who gets to play this role next. Everyone gets a turn. When really, T'Challa should be given the same respect as all the other lead characters in the MCU. And have his own trilogy. But we're never going to get that. Why? Because whatever happens in reality for black people. For some reason it has to happen in fantasy films as well. And I'm not even blaming white people on this. I'm not blaming white people on this at all. At all. Who am I going to blame this on? I'll let you guys decide. I think it's pretty obvious. It's self-explanatory. But hey. What do I know? Maybe I'm just in my feelings. Maybe I'm just some 
nerdy whitewashed kid who takes comic books too seriously. Who knows? Let alone other people love, love to take their dance movies to save the rec center and their hood movies like fucking Menace of Society too seriously because that's real life in all, in, in all black neighborhoods across the world. What do I know? But hey, have fun with those movies depicting you know stereotypes and, and depictions of negative aspects of the black culture and calling that keeping it real. But again, what do I know? Anyways, hit me up with your thoughts on that and feel free to share your thoughts and and let's have a conversation about it. All right, all right. So I did not expect to go so long on that topic. I I had a lot to say. All right, I, I, that was the real let that ish breathe. If if you're if you're if you're asking me, if anything, I should have come out the gate with that topic. I had no idea that I was gonna go for that long, but I said what I said and I stand by it. But we'll keep the train moving. So let's go into trip talk. So three. Topics that happen within hip-hop culture and pop culture as a whole. Let's get to it. So, first topic off the bat, uh, Drake has OVO Fest yet again. And the cool thing about it is the fact that on the Thursday night of his festival, he brought out what he called the Northern Stars lineup. So, the Northern Stars lineup consisted of a lot of classic hip-hop acts from Canada going all the way back from the 80s to the 90s, to the 2000s. So there was a, a litany of them. There's Shaw Claire, there's Cardinal Fischel, there's Julie Black, um, there was Socrates, uh, there was uh, Frank and Dank. There are so many, so, so many. And I thought it was dope that he brought those up because those are the people that he kind of looked up to growing up when he was an artist or aspiring rap artist, you know, while he was doing Degrassi and getting his foothold in, in the hip-hop world and everything in between. And there were a few guests that came out as well. I don't know all the other guests that came out, but one of them apparently was Nelly Furtado, and they both did a, uh, a rendition of uh, I'm Like a Bird. And I thought that was great. I thought that was great. And... You know, in the past, you've heard people who are who have been naysayers of Drake within Toronto be like, "Oh, how come Drake doesn't do a track with this person or that person?" Da, 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 whatever. Any any excuse to just shit on Drake, basically, right? Well, there you go, haters. Drake did this. He did this. Okay, he did all of that. He brought out your favorite acts that you probably didn't even like growing up. But now, because nostalgia is a cool thing, and Drake isn't what you view as a hip-hop artist, but in hindsight, you now view what Socrates and Cardinal and Shaw Claire and a bevy of others did as hip-hop and repping for the, for the city. Now you want to jump on the team and be like, oh, oh my God, Drake, oh my God, yay. No, no, all right, no, no. Keep that same energy, all right? Me personally, I'm happy that Drake did that. Uh, he didn't have to, but he did. And I think it's great that he did that because even if there are people who are like 19, 20 years old who have little to no idea of who those other artists were, you're now bringing these artists into the consciousness of those younger fans who did not know before. Maybe they might go and stream their music on their on their, on their streaming platforms. You never know. But Drake, this isn't the first time that Drake has done this before. He has all, he's brought out veteran artists in the past each year for OVO Fest. There was one year where he brought out Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder's not even hip-hop, right? He predates hip-hop. Stevie Wonder's from the 70s and onward. Stevie Wonder is, is somebody that our parents would have listened to when they were in their teen years or in their 20s. And he brought them out to a crowd full of millennials, essentially. 
So I thought that was super dope of Drake to do, you know, kind of paying it forward, paying homage to the people who came before him in the city and showing them love and clout on, on his big platform. So good for him on Drake on that. I thought that was really dope of him. But anyways, what do y'all think? Do you think Drake was trying to get brownie points with, with the hood Toronto community? Do you think that it was right of him to do that? Um, either way, once again, let me know, share me your thoughts, and let's talk about it. Uh, Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi, unfortunately, got booed. He got booed vociferously at <laughs> at the Rolling Loud concert uh, not too long ago. Now, he got booed mainly for the fact that Kanye said that he was going to pull out of the concert the day of, where he was supposed to be the main headliner for that particular day. But then the joke is he ends up uh, changing his mind. But he has a headliner. He instead performs maybe like a five to eight minute set with Little Dirk, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And then he makes his exit. And then Kid Cudi is the one who ends up closing out the, uh, the the concert. So people are booing him. And then Kid Cudi basically says that if he gets booed or somebody throws something at him one more time, because apparently somebody threw a bottle at him. But he basically said that if somebody throws something at him one more time, then he's walking off the stage. So evidently, somebody threw a water bottle on him at stage, and then he left. So here's my opinion. Even though you're not happy that Kid Cudi is now the headliner because Kanye decided to pull out last minute. Don't get mad at Cudi. That's not his fault. Be mad at Kanye. He's the one who let you guys down. Kid Cudi's just doing his job. He was paid to perform at, at a major event, and that's exactly what he was doing. But because he's not the guy that you want to see now, like it's one thing to boo, and boo is very booing somebody on stage is very divisive. Like I would say, boo somebody if they're not trying, if they're not trying to perform, if they're just half-assing it, they're just half-dogging it, just pacing around, you know, paint by numbers kind of thing. Then yeah, boo them because like you paid good money to see a performance, and they're not, and they're not giving you that performance. But to throw stuff at somebody on stage, that's classless, right? I mean, people. There are, there are times where people should have gotten booed, but they didn't. Like, for example, I remember Kanye, w during one of his performances, this is years ago, he wasn't even performing music. He was ranting about, you know, the government likes to control, da 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 even though he wanted to become president. But whatever, we're not going to get into his inconsistencies. But he was just ranting about the most random shit, and nobody was booing. But you're going to be booing Kid Cudi when he's actually performing? Even if it's the music that you don't want to hear or whatever the case may be. Like, here's the thing about these festivals. You pay money, however much money, to come down and watch as many people perform as possible. So, obviously, there are going to be artists that you want to see. And then there are going to be some artists that you don't care to see. And when it comes to the artists that you don't care to see, just leave. Just leave. Why are you booing? Why are you still entertaining that? If you don't want to see Kid Cudi close out the night, then leave. If you feel like you got your, your money's worth throughout the entire day by seeing Kanye perform or, or Little Dirk or whomever, leave. Your day is done. You've let it be known that you don't want to see Cudi. Leave. Why boo the man? The man got paid to do a job. And from what I heard, he didn't, he didn't half-ass it. He only stopped giving a shit once people started throwing shit at him. And I don't blame him. So I just think that's classless. Like, 
And again, say what you want about his music. Like, I'm not too crazy about his music, but at the same time, if he's doing his damnedest to, you know, entertain the crowd and, and be one with the crowd and, and give them that experience, and all you're doing is booing him, even though he's putting his heart and soul into it, then, then fuck the crowd, in my opinion, if I'm being completely honest. So he had every right to walk off stage. Every right to walk off stage. Because that's just disrespect. He got his money. He may as well just leave and, and, and just chill at the hotel and do whatever. But that's my opinion on it. What do you guys think about that? Let me know. Share me your thoughts on that. And finally, we got to talk about Will Smith, yo. We got to talk about Will Smith. Now, I don't know exactly how long I'm going to spend on this topic because I'm sure you guys have a pretty good idea of where I'm going. So Will Smith decided to go on social media. He posted a video on social media, I should say, and he decided to apologize to Chris Rock. And he did it in the form of answering questions that people had asked him on social media, I believe. So they asked him things like, you know, what went through your mind uh, as you were going on stage? And he basically said something to the tune of, oh, I blacked out. I, I could barely remember. Um, and they asked and he answered a few other questions as well. But he basically said how it was wrong of him to do it. He had no right to do it. Um, he want, he also apologized to Chris Rock's family, including his brother, Tony Rock, and said how the relationship between him and Tony is now irreparable, and, and he understands why. And he says how Chris isn't ready to to have a conversation with him yet, but he said he'll, 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 he'll be waiting, and he he's ready whenever he is, and all that stuff. And to me, I saw this apology video, and it just came across as like some sort of preview for Red Table Talk. That's all it came across as. It came across as so contrived. And I hate that this is where Will Smith is at right now. Because Will Smith has never needed to, to, to be this attention starving. Mind you, he did he's done some social media videos here and there, but like they're all very like awe-inspiring. You know what I mean? Just him living his life or living the best version of his life possible. And it's like, okay, I'm not mad at this. But for him to just be like you know, I apologize, and, you know, I talked to him. It's just like, dude, all you're doing right now is you're trying to save your own ass because all the investments and properties and projects that you've been working on for however many years now have been put on ice because of your slap heard across the world. Bad boys have been put on halts. As well as, you know, movies that you had lined up for Netflix have been put on halts because you decided to slap the bejesus out of somebody. That was all you, bro. And now you're just playing PR cleanup. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to spend much time on this. I'm really not. Like, I, I've said what I said about Will. I've said what I said about Jada, her being the scum of the earth and being one of the most worst human beings on the planet. And I still stand by that even to this day. Alopecia or not, I said it. And I still feel as though Chris Rock was the victim in all of this. He was easily the victim. I will not waver on that. So all in all, Will Smith, you played yourself once again. You're playing cleanup right now. Um, I'll always respect the legacy that he that he's left behind as far as as far as what he's done in television and film. But as far as what he did a few months back, I, I don't I don't stand by it. And it's not even just the act of it. It's what went behind the act. Him trying to prove himself to the black masses of, you know, defending your woman and all that stuff. Where, And then even hearing Jada come out and say, I didn't need defending. It's like, okay, so you did all that for what? For, what, for your own personal clout? Just to get your black card? Is, is that what it was? 
and all those people who defended him, man and woman, who defended Will for what he did. Now he's apologizing for it. So now what? So now that he's apologizing for it, where do you stand on that? Do you do you still stand with Will Smith, or are you going to call him a coon now because he's appealing to appealing to the white man or whatever the case may be? I mean, even Jada herself a few months ago said that she didn't need that from him. What she should have done was prevent him from, from, from getting up on stage. But she didn't even do that. And there was even video footage of her smiling when he did that. But hey, nobody wants to talk about that, right? So anyways, I'm done, I'm done with Will Smith for the time being. Um, there's not much for me to add to this that, that you don't already know as... as you know, the audience or the people reading about the story, whatever the case may be. That, 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 that's my take on it. That's my take on it. Nothing else, nothing more. That's it. That's it. If you want my thoughts on it, on Will Smith as a whole, I did an entire podcast about it like a, a couple months ago. So you can refer to that. But as far as Will Smith goes, I'm done talking about Will Smith. Like it's it's over for me, man. It's uh, respect the legacy, but I don't respect where he's at right now in life. All he needs to do is break up with that woman. Just break break up with Jada and, and just either date someone else or just live a single life for a while and then go back on the JV market when it, when you're all set and ready for it. But just leave her. That That's my thoughts on it. But going from one wankston to another, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the show that you know and love and enjoy. So on that note, who has entered the hallowed walls of shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. Now, it easily could have been Will Smith, but no, there's somebody who did something, or said something rather, that was more dastardly than what Will did. Now, I don't know the name of the person. I was actually trying to find the name, but I couldn't find it. But nonetheless, this person is getting the Wankster of the Week because she stated that Abortion in America is a much worse violation of human rights than slavery was in America. Let me repeat that one more time. She said, she basically said that abortion was the worst violation of human rights in American history, but she also said that it was much worse than slavery. She said that she she actually had the audacity to say that. So. The reason why she said that and she even stated it herself, she stated that it's worse than slavery, because when you put something beside something like American slavery, for example, that it highlights and emphasizes whatever it is that you're trying to spread awareness of. So in other words, you're admitting to using slavery as a prop, as a as a prop in order to elevate your social cause that you're passionate about, thus creating the oppression Olympics, which is so common in Gen, Gen Z nowadays. And what I say to that is, how dare you? How dare you use something like American slavery as a way to justify you saying that abortion is a violation of human rights because here's the thing here's the thing and i don't even care where anyone stands on it whether they're pro-life or they're pro-choice but if we're talking about american abortions here and i'm even i'm going to exclude the whole roe versus wade thing as well because that's self-explanatory but the fact of the matter is if you want to compare the two here's the difference here's why slavery was worse 
unlike abortion, slavery was not, I repeat, not voluntary. Africans didn't choose to plank themselves on slave ships, be taken across the Atlantic Ocean, and be planted into Southern America and the Caribbean and South America to dig up fields of, of sugar cane and, and, and gold and everything in between. They didn't choose that life. That was involuntary. They were forced into that life. They were forced into slavery and bondage. Whereas going for an abortion is optional. You can choose whether or not you want to have an abortion. We're not talking about whether it's right or wrong. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the choice to either go through with it or to not go through with it. No one is dragging you out of your house, putting you in chains, locking you up alongside other women, putting you inside a paddy wagon and forcing you to get an abortion. So to say that it was worse than, than slavery in America is a huge misrepresentation of what slavery was really all about. And the fact that slavery for the longest time has been normalized as being used as a comparison to things like, oh, the way NFL players are treated um, uh, in the NFL is compared to slavery. Everything everything is, is always compared to slavery just so people can understand the and realize the seriousness of that situation. If you want people to buy into the seriousness of a situation, then find a much more articulate and creative way of explaining that other than having to use slavery as the prop to make people wake up and realize, oh my God, they're totally right. Because when it comes to, to football players and other athletes, they're getting paid millions of dollars. Slaves, slaves weren't getting paid. They weren't getting paid. That's why it's called slavery. Because slaves don't get paid. And if you really want to crack open the can of, you know, of, 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 infinite black holeness let's take off the american part of it all together and let's just talk about slavery in general there was slavery for 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 the for, from the jews there there's slavery for 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 indigenous people there there's slavery towards towards anglo-saxons on anglo-saxons there there are slaves uh um uh in in, in a lot of the arabic countries there are slaves that are still alive and well today in third world countries that have little to no funding and no resources. Slavery still even happens in even more developed countries in Canada and America. We just don't hear about it because the media, mainstream media, I should say, chooses not to put a highlight on it until something earth shattering happens. Like the whole, um, like the 200 and something bodies that are, that are found in residential schools in Canada, for example. That didn't become a thing until somebody unearthed it, literally. And then it became a thing. So for this dumbass, this dumb, oh, oh, and here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that really set me off as if none of this set me off. The thing that she said that really set me off was that not only was, was this, was um, uh, abortion worse than slavery, but she also said that student debt was also worse than slavery. Student debt, something that you chose to literally buy into, 
with money that you earned from a job is worse than slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, I do not need to further expound upon this fucking this fucking topic. Listen, this bitch is getting the wankster of the week. I almost wish I knew what her name was so I can call her out myself. But no, she's getting the wankster of the week. Like, I'm not even offended. I'm not even offended as a black person talking about this. I'm just offended at the fact that you're using slavery as a trope to prop something up that you're passionate about. When really, if you're creative and intelligent enough, then you would have much more better ways of... Uh, of, of explaining how serious of, a, of, of an issue that abortion is to you. You didn't have to interject slavery into it, but you did. And because of that, you're getting the wanks of the week. And that about does it for today's episode, people. I know we had a long one today, so I, I appreciate you guys for indulging me on this one. Uh, but yes, I will be back with more episodes like I normally will be. Uh, feel free to hit me up on all my platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, hit me up on all my socials at either DM underscore cool or at cool number four thoughts. And as you already know, cool radio is a division of cool click media entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Once again, it's your man DM cool. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.